You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. How are you doing tonight, Prashant? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, we are recording this on April 18th, and President Trump and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan have just given their uh, conclusion press briefing after a working lunch earlier in the day. This is uh, Abe's uh, second trip to the U.S. to uh, meet with Trump at Mar-a-Lago after his February 2017 meeting. And, um, you know, I thought I thought I'd just tee up very briefly what the agenda was, and then we can maybe take it, uh, you know, discuss our impressions at the press conference. But broadly, there were, uh, you know, three issues on this agenda um, for this trip. So the first was obviously North Korea, uh, given the upcoming summitry that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast already. The second issue that's been thorny in U.S.-Japan ties since Trump's inauguration is the issue of trade. And finally, the third issue is just broader strategic issues, the bilateral relationship and the role of China. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. Why don't you tell me what you thought of that press conference? Oh, boy. I mean, so so, so many angles to which to take it through. I mean, I thought... You know, a lot of the attention here was, like you said, I mean, it, um, North Korea was the one that was dominating most of the attention um, because it, it really has been sort of a a sort of interesting set of developments where, you know, Abe was the first leader, foreign leader to meet with Trump um, as president-elect. He was the first foreign leader to meet Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and, and there's been all this sort of talk about how close the relationship is. When when Trump went to Japan last year, there were you know matching hats and and you know all, all all kinds of talk about how close these two leaders were. But in the last few months, um, you know particularly with um, the the surprise announcement of the Trump Kim meeting and and the perception that Japan was left out of that, and then also this this hardline sort of trade approach the Trump administration has adopted, which has affected the Japanese. There's a sense that you know some of the shine has come off of the alliance and sort of the the Abe Trump uh, relationship there. So that was kind of the framing for the press conference. I mean, in terms of that, the overall sort of tenure and what that says. I mean, a lot of the storylines in the press conference, as you can see, like diverge from uh, the alliance and and talk about how close it was, right? So whether it was you know, concern about uh, Pompeo's meeting that was just announced um, and, you know, what that means for um, coordination of the alliance and, and what the United States is doing. And then, you know, separate questions about trade and where the U.S. and Japan are uh, on that. Um, and then also, you know, a sense even, you know, before Abe came here about his domestic position mm -hmm. um, and what that means, right? So all these sort of things were were percolating around the, the press conference, and and you sort of got the feeling that even though both leaders were trying very hard to show that you know they're they're a close alliance and they're coordinated, um, the storylines that the reporters were looking for and and what they were saying at the press conference sort of diverged a little bit from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think the point you hit on at the uh, end there about Abe's sort of political situation in Japan, I think, is maybe worth emphasizing in a bit more detail at the onset of this discussion. Um, and, uh, you know, we can get back to the uh, North Korean trade issues. But yeah, I mean, uh, this is actually a remarkable time in Japanese politics. Um, I mean, Abe's scandals, we'd actually talked about, I had um, Mina Pullman, who writes for our Tokyo Report section, come on last year on the podcast to talk us through some of the scandal issues that were already quite hot in early 2017. 
2016. Obviously, that didn't really end up having an effect in the snap elections last October. Uh, the LDP came out pretty dominantly in those because uh, the opposition simply didn't have its act together. Uh, Yuriko Koike, the uh, governor of Tokyo, wasn't able to uh, mount any real challenge with her new party of hope, um, which she's uh, since left. Um, but right now, the uh, you know the Moritomo Gakuen and the Kake Gakuen uh, scandals uh, concerning cronyism, impropriety, uh, doling out favors and influence to uh, personal friends of Abe, uh, those still are getting quite hot in Japan. There was a major development earlier uh, in March when uh, the finance ministry came out and uh, submitted that it had falsified documents to obscure the role of Abe and his wife in some of these transactions. Um, Abe continues to survive, but um, the the commentary I see in Japan uh, from political observers uh, far more knowledgeable on Japanese politics than I am uh, seem to suggest that it's it's far from a given that Abe will even make it through the summer. Um, so you know anything could happen. I mean, Japanese politics went through this period where we saw a revolving door of prime ministers, each lasting about a year for a variety of reasons. Um, but but Abe does sp- face some real challenges here, um, and especially within the LDP. And the uh, the bigger context here is the the uh, September, uh, or at least it's thought to be September, the uh, LDP leadership election. Um, the term limit for the party has been removed, so Abe could run for a third term. Which which would set him up to uh, quite easily become the longest-serving post-war Japanese prime minister. Um, and that's been an important personal goal for him, I think. He sees that as kind of the pathway to fully revising Article 9 in the Japanese constitution to shed Japan's um, self-professed uh, pacifism, uh, so to speak. And uh, obviously that's a source of concern for regional states like China, who have long been worried about Japanese quote-unquote remilitarization. Um, but those hopes uh, might be dashed. So that's just a little bit of political context. But um, let's go back to the press conference, you know, you know fast forward uh, to today. And where should we begin? Should we begin with um, trade or North Korea? Um, I, I think probably the, the best place to start is, is North Korea, right? So, I mean, we have this press conference here and then, you know, we, we've got the inter-Korean summit coming up quite quickly. And then we, we have the, the Trump-Kim meeting, uh, you know, if, if it happens, because Trump at, um, has indicated that, you know, he's as the great negotiator that he is, he's prepared to walk away if, if the North Koreans don't don't give him a good deal. But yeah, I mean, what what was your sense about um, where the two countries are on North Korea and, and the bigger picture for the North Korean issue moving ahead? Sure. Um, So I think actually philosophically Abe and Trump have a fairly similar vision on North Korea, which is that Abe, unlike the other U.S. ally in Northeast Asia that's been playing an important role, uh, to say the least, uh, South Korea, um, Abe strongly believes in the maximum pressure campaign. Um, I think he is quite skeptical of giving Kim Jong-un the benefit of good faith on his um, commitment to discuss the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. That's an important phrase. Um, But Abe... Uh, you know, is a realist. I think he recognizes that with Trump, you know, anything's possible. So I think Japan was caught a bit off guard when Trump decided to accept the summit. Uh, And Abe uh, immediately, uh, I think, saw no option except that he had to rush to Washington to make sure the Japanese interests would be protected in any U.S.-North Korea summit meeting. And not only that, um, 
you know, Japan has the very uh, particular um, issue of the um, abductees who were uh, kidnapped from Japan in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and that continues to be a hot button issue domestically in the country. And the Trump administration has taken interest in that. Um, senior uh, NSC, um, NSC Senior Director Matt Pottinger has met with abductees, um, uh, sorry, the families of abductees in Japan uh, to discuss the issue. And Abe wanted to make sure that that would be represented. But on a more serious level, I think Japan uh, worries that Trump... Uh, lacks the, uh, you know, maybe a nuanced understanding, let's say, of the uh, missile threat from North Korea. And this, I think, you know, these concerns have been sort of compounded by some of the things that we heard Mike Pompeo, CIA director who visited North Korea, uh, we had just learned recently, uh, but also is nominated now for Secretary of State. Uh, he, he mentioned during his confirmation hearing that the purpose of U.S. diplomacy with North Korea and Kim Jong-un should be to, first of all, get rid of the threat to the United States and then deal with what the allies worry about. And that's just not a very productive way to talk within the context of an alliance. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, t- uh, you know, observers in Tokyo have been, long been aware of that. There have been previous statements by uh, former National Security Advisor McMaster, um, you know, I heard uh, some of this firsthand when I was in Tokyo in uh, in January that, you know, Trump might look to do a deal with North Korea that includes the ICBMs, the Hwasong 14s and the Hwasong 15s that can hit the U.S. homeland. But let's Kim Jong-un, you know, keep and continue to test his intermediate range Hwasong 12 missiles and his um, medium range missiles that can threaten pretty much all of Japan. And that's uh, and that's entirely unacceptable to Tokyo. Uh, very, you know, understandably. And the U.S. and Japan have long, you know, been on the same page about that issue. I mean, uh, in fact, the origins of sort of the, you know, um, U.S.-Japan cooperation on Aegis missile defense, on the SM-3 Block 2A interceptor, one of the most advanced um, direct descent mid-course interceptors in use right now on um, Japanese um, maritime self-defense force vessels, as well as U.S. Navy guided missile destroyers. A lot of that cooperation, you know, began in the late 90s when the two countries um, reacted to North Korea's launch of the Taepodong uh, satellite launch in uh, 1998. So that cooperation has been going on for a long time. Um, and, in, you know, lately there's been trilateralization with South Korea as well. But I think Tokyo just uh, seeks guarantees that uh, its interests will be protected. And I think listening to the press conference, I think Abe was actually, um, I think he seemed pretty confident uh, that, that, you know, this discussion went well. Trump gave a big shout out to the abductees issues, telling a Japanese reporter that it mattered a great deal to him because it mattered a great deal to the prime minister. And I thought that was actually one of the better kind of alliance moments in that press conference. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, with that said, maybe we can talk a bit about the trade discussion, which uh, did not go so well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think on on the trade side, I mean, we, we really have heard mixed messages from the administration, right? So there, there's a few angles to this. One is obviously the, the bilateral angle where Trump has been railing about the deficit question. And there's also the broader issue about whether the two sides can get on some kind of trade agreement of some sort. Um, but I, I, my, you know, sort of sense from the press conference and what's been going on so far is that, you know, there really is no agreement about what exactly these countries can, can get towards. I think Japan remains very cautious about jumping very quickly on the bandwagon of some kind of broader agreement and is also pretty conscious about the fact that if, the concerns of the Trump administration are around the trade deficit more particularly. There's ways that the countries can sort that out without jumping into a broader agreement that kind of ensnares Japan. And, and that's where this kind of links to the broader multilateral discussion, because, you know, we, we've been hearing, you know, first Trump withdrew from the TPP and then, you know, the, there's all this 
uh, stuff about t Trump potentially re-entering the TPP and then backing off of that. So that I think you know this this uh, sort of this administration sort of changing position and Trump's own changing position on trade multilaterally and generally really concerns uh, allies and partners and Japan is not uh, exempt from that. So anytime we hear about um, and there's already reports going out about. You know, the U.S. and Japan have agreed to talk about some kind of trade agreement. Well, we, we don't really know what the content of that agreement mm -hmm. is, what the scope of that agreement is, and, and, and how these two countries are going to arrive at that. So I think, like you correctly mentioned, that is something where there still is a lot of daylight between the two sides. Yeah, I actually don't. Um, I think, you know, the, the breaking news alerts about that announcement on a potential FTA started flying. But I really think listening yeah. to the press conference that it was a much more humble statement about mm -hmm. the economic dialogue that's been going on between um, Vice President Pence and uh, Finance Minister um, and Vice Prime Minister Asso uh, just continuing. And maybe there'll be a few sectoral level talks. We'll see. Can you just say, uh, you know, I just want to like offer our listeners a quick observation on the TPP issue. Um, just, you know, this this kind of cruelty of timing, so to speak, with with Japan and the TPP. Um, so obviously, when Trump was elected in November, the Japanese saw it as a little bit of a disaster, given everything he'd said about the TPP over the course of the campaign. And then in December 2016, the Japanese diet ratifies the TPP. And then I believe on January 18th, 2017, just a couple days before the inauguration, Japan submits its notice of ratification to New Zealand, which was the um, the uh, uh, the registrar for the TPP, right? And then uh, Trump immediately is inaugurated. Actually, I think Japan did that on the 20th, on the day of the inauguration. And then Trump, on his third day in office, pulls out of TPP, obviously, right? And then just, uh, you know, rewind back to around 10, 12 days ago, uh, the Japanese cabinet, Abe's cabinet, um, prepared and approved the bill that will ratify the CPTPP, right? And they submit that to... Um, uh, to the diet again for ratification, and then Trump says that you know he's interested in joining the TPP again. So for Japan, there's just this um, really unfortunate kind of timing. And I mean, obviously, you know, Trump isn't doing anything intentional here to uh, aggravate Japan, but uh, for Tokyo, certainly, I think you know there's a bit of frustration. But I think you know most of the sophisticated um, observers of the trade situation in Tokyo really didn't take Trump's renewed interest in TPP too seriously. Because, you know, as you said correctly, uh, the philosophical problem that Trump has with multilateral trade, he thinks it's bad no matter what for the United States. He sees bilateral trade deals as simply better, regardless of the details of any of these agreements, the standards behind them or anything. Um, that problem, uh, you know, that philosophical disagreement continues to remain in place. Um, when he said that he was interested again in TPP and instructed Larry Kudlow to look into it, um, you know, we were seeing something else. He saw that if he's going to continue his trade war with China, U.S. farmers are probably going to be hurt. And then somehow he got wind of the fact that TPP might be good for U.S. farmers. So he said, oh, okay, then let's do that to keep up the trade war with China and keep up the heat there. So I think given that reasoning, um, it was maybe, you know, a lot of people were uh, giving this opening, so to speak, too much credence. I mean, I don't think that there's really any um, realistic path to the U.S. entering CPTPP at this point. Um, and especially you, you look at the domestic political scene, um, you know, there's across the aisle, there's opposition to the agreement still. Uh, the administration tends to have um, a, a domestic audience problem issue if they decide to enter a multilateral trade deal that Trump is criticized. And if Democrats 
again, win in the midterms, that makes that even more difficult. So it just it just doesn't seem realistic um, that the U.S. Yep. will enter the agreement at this point. Uh, on the bilateral issue, though, I think one of the big failures for Abe, and I'm not surprised here, I mean, this was probably going to be the outcome anyways, was no concessions on Section 232 on the steel and aluminum tariffs. Uh, Japan, an important ally, wasn't excluded. Um, you know, we've talked before on this podcast on Trump's sort of long-seated um, anxiety and concern about Japanese trade practices dating back to his experience as a businessman in the late 1980s when Japan was seen as, you know, taking over the United States. Trump, I think, has internalized a lot of that um, anxiety about Japan. And and that really came out uh, during the press conference in some of the ways that he was talking about Abe. You know, he described him as a very strong negotiator, almost uh, giving away a little bit of frustration uh, with, with the talks. Uh, so, yeah, I mean the economic component um, of of this relationship hasn't gone hasn't gone too well in my view. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know you you're right too. I mean earlier you pointed out at, at the relationship between the domestic uh, political dimension of of Abe's tenure and and the foreign policy component. I mean that's become even clearer now with his weaker domestic position, right? So ahead of the meeting with Trump, we saw. You know all kinds of commentary coming out about you know what can Abe get out of this visit, um, whether it's you know some kind of reassurance, high profile on the abductee issue, some concession on 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 trade, in order to show that he's a sort of strong leader on 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 foreign policy, right? And so I mean there is this sort of interrelationship between domestic and foreign policy that's interesting. I mean the other angle from a U.S. perspective is that. Um, you know, this con conception of free and open Indo-Pacific that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. it, it hinges on a number of leaders that the United States can have. And Prime Minister Abe is, you know, the strongest, arguably, leader in this sort of free and open Indo-Pacific. And it's almost, as you pointed out, you know, earlier, it's almost taken for granted now. And, and people sometimes forget that before Abe's tenure, there was that revolving door of Japanese prime ministers and Japan was, you know, in the eyes of some observers, you know, a, a country in decline, a country in disarray. Um, and then Abe comes in and there's this sort of renewed energy, but it has sort of revealed, I think, the fragility of some of that uh, sort of strength if you rely on on sort of, you know, one, one individual. I mean, that being said, um, you know, uh, Japanese politics and Japanese polling, I mean, this, this stuff... If you go back last year, the year before, it, it's it's sometimes very fickle, right? Um, you know, there's all this been uh, cases been made about Abe being written off before, including last year, as as, as you pointed out. Um, but some of these scandals have risen and then sort of uh, faded away. I mean, obviously now they're they're of a more high profile nature, and his uh, approval ratings have dropped. I think I think one poll had it at you know twenty uh, late twenties. It's, it's actually lower than Trump's. Her. His polling yeah, average in exactly. Japan is lower than Trump's. It's actually the lowest it's been since he was elected in December 2012. Right. So, you know, the, I mean, this is something that is, is is a significant development, but, you know, it remains to be seen whether this will actually sort of impact him. I mean, the, the next uh, LDP election is going to be in September. But in the meantime, we have all these other events that we've talking about, right? So inter-Korean summit, Trump-Kim meeting, um, Abe and the and the Japanese have a, have a big year as well in the Sino-Japanese relationship. Um, and so there, there's all these variables on foreign policy that matter for Abe, and 
when his domestic position is is seemingly weakened for now. So that's sort of an interesting relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that really helped Abe gain back some of his lost luster uh, amid the scandals in early 2017 was when the North Korean threat started getting really bad. North Korea started shooting missiles over Japan. Abe, mm -hmm. for all of his domestic flaws, um, is, is, I think, seen by the Japanese public as something of a steady hand when it comes to guiding Japan on the world stage. Um, he's seen as a, a leader that can go out there and, uh, you know, bat for Japanese interests in a way that's effective. And I think that's, again, a big, um, you know, one of the big stakes of this meeting that just ended with Trump. Uh, you know, would Abe succeed in potentially winning himself an exception uh, exemption on Section 232? He didn't. But, you know, that's not to say that uh, the visit was a total failure. Um, I think, you know, I mean, Abe did repeat his his performance in February 2017 when he you know, stood beside Trump on the stage at the press conference and said that, you know, the U.S. and Japan have disagreements over TPP, but Japan supports TPP. And he did that again today. He said that, you know, Japan continues to support the high standards agreements. Um, so that's been good. But I will say Abe has been very careful to have a good personal relationship with Trump, right? Um, so that's been, I think, a very key part of the Japanese strategy to managing um, the Trump presidency. And I think if I had to sort of sum up Tokyo's approach, I mean, it's it, it's something that, you know, they're just trying to keep their heads down and ride out the storm with the United States, make sure that the alliance um, at the institutional level, uh, the momentum is maintained, and then hopefully, um, you know, I don't think many people in Japan would be too disappointed to see Trump go in 2020 and see the return of a, a U.S. president that was a little bit more uh, sensitive to kind of the um, solidarity aspects of alliances. Uh, that solidarity idea, I think, is just not present in Trump. I think on one level, he does see Japan as an adversary. When he talks about the trade deficit, it's very clear. Actually, at the end of the press conference, I don't know if you caught it, but there was a moment when he was walking away with Abe, then a reporter shouts out a question about Russia, and then he comes mm -hmm. back to talk about how he's been the toughest on Russia and he says, you know, oh, we're also tough on China. And then he says, you know, oh, it would be good to have better relationship with these countries, you know, Russia, China, Japan. He lumps in Japan with the two countries that his uh, 2017 national security strategy identifies as competitors. I think that was a little bit of an awkward moment to end the press conference on. But but yeah, I mean, it is a it is a difficult time. I mean, the alliance writ large, I think, is still in pretty good shape. Uh, military to military cooperation is ongoing. Japan just launched its first um, uh, rapid response amphibious brig brigade, effectively its version of the Marine Corps, uh, which was created with U.S. assistance. Um, Exercises continue. Uh, they've been exercising the Maritime Self-Defense Force and the U.S. Navy have been exercising recently in the eastern, um, in the East China Sea and the and the Western Pacific. So um, on that level, things are still functioning. Um, but yeah, I think uh, overall, uh, what's the what's the big takeaway for you from from what we just saw with Abe and Trump? I mean, I I think you're you're right in framing it that way. It, it's all been for for Abe and Trump and U.S. Japan uh, relations a test of how much. Uh, the cultivation of this personal relationship that the Japanese are clearly doing, how much of that really matters, right, in terms of the alliance relationship. And I think so far, I mean, the jury is still out in general, because with Trump, you know, anything can happen. <laughs> uh, we could be having a very different conversation after, you know, the Trump-Kim meeting. But so far, I mean, the, the Japanese have managed to for the most part, you know, keep the ship from capsizing, even though it's not an entirely uh, steady in terms of the overall relationship. I mean, I, I, I think that owes itself more to the importance and, and the stability of the U.S.-Japan alliance in general 
um, less so due to, to to the way Trump is managing it and the administration. But like I said, I mean, we, we you know, a lot of the big agenda items, you know, North Korea, trade, even China. I mean, we, we don't really have a clear sense from the Trump administration yet as to where they are on these issues. And, you know, at the press conference, one of the big things that came through was, I mean, there are all these other domestic scandals that Trump is dealing with, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. on Russia and then, you know, all these other administration officials changes, including Pompeo. So there are all these other variables that, you know, could tip uh, the U.S. foreign policy towards the Asia Pacific more one way or the other. And I think to have that much instability and uncertainty, even after the, per the cultivation of that personal relationship is, I think, must be very frustrating for the Japanese. But nonetheless, I mean, I think they're doing their best. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an exciting few weeks um, ahead for sure. Next week, we have the uh, Inter-Korean Summit coming up. Unfortunately, I'm going to be entirely off the grid during that, uh, mm -hmm. just uh, just entirely out of coincidence. But um, I will be back, and we can maybe uh, certainly at least uh, devote a podcast to that when that's uh, over and looking forward to um, the Trump-Kim Summit as well. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. thanks for joining me, Prashant. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Um, for our listeners, thanks always for um, thanks as always for listening to the podcast. If you have suggestions for a future topic that you'd like us to hear, please free to uh, please feel free to reach out to either of us on social media or by email. And if you like what you hear but you haven't subscribed, please do so. And if you are a subscriber and you haven't left us a review, please do that as well on iTunes. It really helps get the word out about the show. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.